1: Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a great show lined up for you. We're talking about a subject, that's, a subject that's not often easy to talk about. It has to do with abuse. And because we're dealing with a sensitive subject that involves things like domestic violence and other issues, we want to encourage you if you're tuning in today to use discretion if there's younger ones who are Uh, around the, uh, the radio, because we will be speaking about some sensitive topics, but we've got some very good and encouraging news, and an amazing person to speak about it is my guest today. Her name is Missy Priest. Missy is a registered nurse with a background in critical care. She also has a Ph.D. in forensic science. Missy, it is so great to have you with us on today's edition of American Indian Living.
2: I'm glad to be here.
1: Missy, you not only have some impressive academic credentials, you've got an amazing story. And as we launch into the, the show today, tell us a little bit about why you are so passionate about this subject.
2: When, basically, whenever I was conceived, my stepdad knew that my mother had had an affair. Mm. And instead of punishing her for that, he spent about 12 years punishing me. Wow. And he was horrible. Uh, I mean, he didn't mind doing things to anybody. Like, uh, you got mad at a worker or something. He put their leg over a curb and jumped on it. What? Yeah, that's, that's the kind of things that he did.
1: And this guy didn't end up incarcerated before those 12 years were out? No. So he obviously was a very significant person in the community. Is that uh, a, a safe conclusion to draw? He
2: he w- was worth an awful lot of money. Hmm. He always told us that uh, he had a t- title in Germany, made it where he could do nearly anything that he wanted to because he had diplomatic immunity.
1: Hmm. Okay, so you've got this interesting relationship, nothing that... Uh, You brought on yourself. You've got three strikes against you from the time you come out of the womb. And how did you survive in a setting like that?
2: I would actually try really hard and do things, you know, to like any child who just wanted some positive attention, bring him his shoes or go get him some tea or coffee or whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. But whenever you brought him something, did something for him, he would still go after you. So it was kind of a hopeless situation, but fortunately for me anyway, I'm a devout Episcopalian. Mm -hmm. I believe in God and that there will never be a time that God abandons you and closes the door in your face that he doesn't open a window.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And that's what got me through, literally. And then also, I had a younger sister, she's two and a half years younger than me, but he started on his own daughter, abusing her as well, and my sister tried to kill herself when she was eight, Mm. and I told her he would never hurt her again if she wouldn't do that, because then I would be all alone. So, me and my sister had to hold together, and Sometimes it would mean jumping out our window in the middle of the night. And and our mother, she didn't try to help, which I found that in situations like we were in, the mother usually, you know, will throw their daughters to the the abuser and uh, won't try to help. There was no place we could go. We didn't have any family except my grandmother. And so we... That there was nobody who could help us. We really didn't know. And you, even though, you know, he does terrible things, kids always tend to believe their parents. And my sister and I grew up, you know, thinking that we weren't worth anything because of him.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. No, I mean, Missy, this is a, a situation, and you already mentioned it with your sister. A lot of people don't survive these situations either because of the violence itself or because they take their own lives. You mentioned one of the things that gave you hope was faith in a God or Creator, but you mentioned these windows that you believe the Creator opened, that God opened for you. How did you get out of this situation? Is that safe to conclude at the age of 12? Uh, Well,
2: when I was 14, well, I'll have to back up a little bit. When I was 12, I was five months pregnant with his child.
1: Wow, from the stepfather.
2: Yes. Yeah, wow. It was before Roe versus Wade. And so we went to downtown Los Angeles one time and got rid of the baby, more or less.
1: Oh, my. And so that was basically, not only was the baby forced on you, that decision was forced on you as well?
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, I was tied down. My wow. mother was standing there while while it was being done. And whenever it was over with, I don't think he was a doctor. I think he was just kind of a butcher. Oh, my. But when the baby came out, uh, he threw it over in a corner because it wasn't a doctor's office. There wasn't anything clean there. And it you know, just made a, a little sound while it was dying, and that haunted me for a very long time because, I mean, you know, it was a child. It was well-formed. You could look at it, you know, and you'd see that they had their limbs at five months.
1: Boy, this is intense. And uh, and you're going through this as, as a 12-year-old?
2: Yes. And after that happened, though, he decided he didn't want to mess with me anymore, so he went after my not quite 10-year-old sister, even harder. Same thing happened to her when she was uh, 11. And after where they took her, uh, I decided I had to get pretty far away from where we lived, and I rode my bicycle from North Downey in Southern California. I rode my bike to Parker Center, which is downtown Los Angeles. And I was getting some help because the police around us, they came to my stepdad's pool parties. And just about anything around could be bought. People didn't help us because, uh, you know, liking being around him. But I did take my bicycle, and I don't know if you know anything about Southern California.
1: I don't know the geography of the Los Angeles area too well.
2: To get there, you go through Southgate, uh, Compton. That's probably been heard of before. Right.
1: There's some pretty rough neighborhoods, Yeah,
2: really bad neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And I was 14 at the time, and I told them what was happening. The following morning was Saturday morning. And what made me go there was because my sister threw her bike down whenever we were going to school, walked out into rush hour traffic. And if she wouldn't have gotten pushed out of the way, she would have been killed. And that's what she was trying to do. Wow! So that's why I went there, and we were rewarded in a really bad way.
1: Mm-hmm. So let me see if I've got this straight, because I'm I'm just trying to follow the narrative here. After your
2: keep everything in line.
1: No, no, and I appreciate you doing that, but I just want to make sure that that I'm following along, and that all the listeners have this picture firmly in our minds. So you try to run away from home after your sister is abused and ends up pregnant, but you end up coming back home because you hear your sister was nearly killed in an accident? Am I putting the pieces together? Well,
2: the reason I went all the way to downtown Los Angeles was because I figured if I got that far away, you know, they wouldn't know who he was, and it worked. The next morning, on Saturday morning, usually my stepdad was at home on Saturdays. Uh-huh. For some reason, he had to go you know, out for something. And when the detectives arrived, they started searching the house. They gave the search warrant to my mother. And when he got home and found out about this, he took us to a job site. He owned a company that built swimming pools and you know, ground pools. Mm-hmm. He dropped us in the hole and started as bulldozers and started pushing the dirt slowly where, you know, you could see dirt starting to fall on your shoes and uh, you get really close I don't know if you tell her, I'm getting claustrophobic about it again.
1: You mean so he's going to bury you alive? Yes. And, and what? He
2: always threatened it. We learned when he says something like that, no matter how bad, he will. He beat our nanny to death. And after he pulled us out of this hole, we both got beaten nearly to death. Two days later, he had me, my sister, my baby brother, and mom moved out here to some land he had in Texas. I mean a little farm. They had a house that didn't have air conditioning or heating, but at least the roof didn't leak.
1: You know, Missy, Missy, I'm I'm being serious with you and I'm sure many of my listeners, I mean this is this is horrific and where I think all of us are longing in this first segment for some good news. I mean I think we I think we got a picture of, I mean just terrible circumstances. How do you come out of this and end up becoming a registered nurse, ending up getting a doctorate even i mean making a, I mean, a an impactful life out of that kind of background?
2: For me, there was prayer. I was down on my knees praying constantly, uh, asking God for the help that we needed to get out of there, and whenever he moved us back here to Texas. Uh at least he wasn't here, mm-hmm. and that's when the it all stopped you know the abuse from him and I kept praying, I kept on trying to get my sister to believe, and you know that there was something that could be done that you know we'd be adults in a few years, and we could go someplace else and uh. There is joy out there. After you get away from the situation, you have to get some help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're thinking that you're living with it, and it hasn't affected you because it stopped.
1: So, did the stepfather just vanish from the picture after you ended up in Texas, or did he ever come back into the into the family Whenever situation? Whenever he
2: thought that we would actually, you know, start telling people things, you know, the police, clergy et cetera, uh, he would come out here every few months and threaten us real good. Wow. And the threat was a powerful one. He shot a man once in front of me and my sister to prove a point. That haunted us, too, <laughs> both of us.
1: Well, Missy, I know the story doesn't end there. Thankfully, it doesn't. And, I mean, I, I think... Those of us that have been listening from the beginning of the show, I mean, this is, I mean, the only words I have for it is, you know, is is really horrific. And we haven't heard uh, even just a, a portion of your story. Let me make sure that I know that those who want to get the full picture and really get all the hope, not only are you going to share that on today's show, but you've also got a book out there that details the positive things that grew out of all this. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Tell me about it's it. It's
2: written in novel form. The names are different.
1: Uh-huh. But yes, it is. And what is the name of the book?
2: Child of the Wilderness.
1: Child of the Wilderness. It's really your story.
2: Uh No, not all of it, because I've spent an awful lot of time talking to victims of abuse. Uh-huh. And some of their stories is kind of mixed in and what have you. Uh, whenever my mother was living, she threatened me if I ever tried to put it out. Wow! Wait until she died before I could be published.
1: Missy, we have to step away just for a couple of minutes. I'm Dr. David DeRose. You may be in the midst of uh, a terrible situation. Missy Priest is a living example that there is hope, even in the midst of terrible. Abuse right in your own home. Don't go away. We've got encouraging things coming up in our next segment. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out.
3: For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at WRInstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency
0: medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim.
3: When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke, know the signs, act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke.
4: If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Missy Priest. If you've been with us from the beginning of the show, Missy, uh, an amazing lady. She's a registered nurse, also has a PhD. She's a woman who's accomplished amazing things. She's done educational videos for health professionals. She's worked in clinical settings. She's sharing her story, though, today with us. It's a I've used the word, I think, a number of times, horrific story of domestic abuse, uh, abuse as, as she was a child growing up in a home where she was not loved, not wanted, living with a stepfather. And some of you might be wondering, why are we featuring this story on American Indian Living? We're featuring the story for a number of reasons, but one of them is the story of all of us in a certain sense. Now, some of you are saying, what do you mean? Um, think about it for a minute. It doesn't matter whether you're listening today from the heart of Indian country, whether you've gone through abuse because of your race, because of where you live, because of your background. It doesn't matter whether it's domestic abuse. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, abuse that you've suffered in a workplace setting. The point I'm trying to make is on a certain level, I'm not saying we've all gone through anything as terrible as what Missy went through, but I think on a certain level, we all know what it's like on a certain level to be victimized. And in Indian country, this is a narrative that has often played out, and it's played out on a a whole race of people. And so as Missy is telling her story, and we're talking about situations that many people would say would rob you of hope, we're talking with a woman who is demonstrating resiliency and saying that no matter what happens in life, you don't have to be the victim of your past, that you can actually go on with life and you can make something of it. And so, Missy, we're anxious to hear how you get out of this situation. Just to, to recap, you were, were living in this abusive relationship in Southern California. Your stepfather moves you, your uh, mother, sister, and brother, is that right, to Texas? Have I got that straight? And uh, you, at this time, are how old?
2: He moved us to Texas whenever I was 14.
1: Okay, so you're 14 years old. And how do you get out of the situation?
2: Well, while I was working at 16, i I've been working in, you know, cafes, things like that, to make money. Mm -hmm. And it was there that I met the man of my dreams. I made promises to myself. That's another thing that I would be a wife and a mother and a nurse, hmm. and I would make it happen. And when I met my husband, all those dreams finally started coming through. The only time that my new stepfather made a bruise on my face, my husband got a gun and said, if you do it again, I've got a lot of land and I'll bury you on it. Step down. And he decided that it wasn't worth it when my husband and I married when I was 18, it still goes with you. You still remember it. But it gives you a strength that you don't expect to have because you know most of your choices and all were taken away. However, even though we were starving to death because you don't make that much on a little cafe, but you make enough and you can get food there you know, to feed your family. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was a little dangerous, a really dangerous situation, was that staying in the house, we were going to get hurt if we slept in there. So I made a place for my brother and sister and myself out in this barn that, honest to God, I'm surprised it didn't fall down. Mm. And they couldn't find us during the night, and that's when usually he did his attacking. Wow. I got married, and... It didn't go away. I mean, my mother still lived 15 miles from me, but they couldn't hurt me anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my sister, she found she found somebody to fall in love with, and at 16, she got married because she figured that would get her away from it. And that was kind of a bad decision because she actually didn't love the young man. But we were both out of the situation mm-hmm. and still looked after the baby brother.
1: Well, Missy, you've basically walked us through uh, a real ordeal over the course of some 18 years. Both you and your sister get out of that situation through marriages, and uh, they were marriages. uh, In your case, I know you've told me that you've been in a great relationship for a number of years now. How how long have you been married?
2: 38 years.
1: So tremendous, and I know that's been a, a source of security for you. Uh, Your sister, like you mentioned, was not as fortunate, but still was out of that abusive relationship in your home of origin. But here's the part of the story that's so exciting to me, and I'm sure to many of our listeners. In spite of all you're going through, you already shared with us, there were a number of things that gave you hope in the midst of situations that would have well, for many people, just sucked the hope right out of them. You had a focus on a loving God, a creator who was interested in you. And then you also had a vision. You had a vision that you were going to be a wife and a mother and a nurse. Tell us how those things played out. Did did all those things just uh, fall into place or did it take a lot of work with that background?
2: It took a lot of work. (laughs) But after we married, my husband his father owned a a catalogs and he gave me a Both of us went through nursing school. At first, I became an LVN because I had two tiny kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mindy had all the time in the world because she hadn't been able to have a baby as yet. So, you know, she kept crying. She was always around the kids, you know, my babies. But when my son was six months old, I started uh, nursing school. I was taking academics and what have you. Mm -hmm. And... Whenever I graduated, I realized at the ripe old age of 23, I'd done everything that I said I was going to do, and everything else would be extra credit.
1: Wow. I mean, this is exciting because, you know, at 23, most people would say, I mean, your whole life is still ahead of you or the majority of it. But yet, in those first 23 years, like you've mentioned, I mean, you went through as much grief or more grief than many people will experience in their whole lifetime, and you didn't give up. I mean, you kept pushing forward. Uh, Like many people that grow up in bad home situations, you were very challenged academically. You didn't have that background of a stable home and good uh, study skills, good reading skills, and yet you found a way to still be successful and graduate as a nurse. But you didn't stop there academically, did you?
2: No, I did not. I went ahead and, once again, with my husband and our children's encouragement and my mother-in-law and father-in-law's encouragement, went back to school and got my RN in 1988. So my thing was I was going to go to work in critical care. Wow. Wow. That's what I did. I took my residencies, went down to Houston, to uh, Texas Heart, to learn everything there was to learn about open heart surgery because we were just getting into it when there were hospitals in Tyler.
1: No, I mean, this is. amazing. I got amazing. all the
2: education, uh, you know, the, the specialties, the residencies, and what have you. And once I got into intensive care, I have had nightmares since I was a child.
1: Well, Missy, we have to step away just for a moment. You're listening to uh, the story of a woman who went through all kinds of grief, horrific circumstances growing up, but did not let that hold her back. She has uh, gone on. She's been very successful. If you don't know the nursing field, some of the most challenging nursing education, sharpest nurses many times find themselves In that critical care arena, they require a lot of training, a lot of expertise. She got that at one of the leading heart centers in the country, in the world, in fact. She's got a lot more encouraging things that you can draw from that will encourage you in spite of those uh, those really challenging early life history vignettes that we've heard. We're going to be coming back with more from Missy Priest. We'll talk about her book. Life lessons, things that you can employ in your own life that can make a difference no matter where you find yourself. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be coming back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Stay tuned.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673.
3: So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Missy Priest. Missy Priest is a registered nurse with specialization in critical care. She also went on and got a PhD later in life. We've been speaking about her story. Her story resonates uh, for many throughout Indian country and beyond because many of us have grown up with very difficult circumstances. We've been in situations where we are the victims, whether it's of Uh, violence in our own home, whether it's violence in our communities, whether it's historical trauma, or whether it's intergenerational trauma in the family because of abuse right there in the home, these stories, these storylines are familiar ones. Missy, you have been educating health professionals about these themes for many years, is that correct?
2: That is correct. You always tell kids they can go to their teachers. A teacher is a good one to identify any kind of abuse because, you know, a child has a broken arm, and how many times can you really fall downstairs? And so your teachers would be a good thing. The other thing is that a child like that would, there's hypervigilance, up on x-rays. Mm-hmm. If you suspect abuse, you know chances are x-rays will be done and it will be identified.
1: So, Missy, what I hear you telling us is there's different ways if a person's being abused, they can get help. One of those ways is by speaking with a teacher. Another way is actually by speaking with a health professional. And as you just mentioned, there's certain tests, things that can be done like x-rays that could demonstrate uh, things that would be in keeping with abuse. So Missy, beside going to a teacher, beside going to a doctor, are there other ways that people can get help if they're in an abusive situation?
2: Yes, there's a lot of them now nowadays. Uh the police is a good you know, that's a good thing to do, go to them. Mm-hmm. Or the child abuse hotline. Okay. Yeah, any phone book you see it has the phone number, the toll-free number to call and either report abuse or, or tell them you are being abused. And you don't have to give your name, you know, if you're reporting it. And the police will check things like that out because it's, you know, injuring a child. Mm-hmm. And then there's the National Center for Mistaken and Exploited Children, Uh, The Department of Health and Human Services, all those places were set up so that the abused child, and some of them, the abused adult, because my stepdad didn't stop it, my sister and I. He would also, if my grandmother would step in, he would attack her. Wow. He had no respect, no conscience, and his hero was Adolf Hitler.
1: Are you serious,
2: oh yeah, wow. He was atheist he was uh, uh he thought he was better than everybody else, and his children were for his entertainment wow, and as long as he kept my mother in drugs, she wouldn't do anything about it because that's what she was in it for
1: wow i mean this is this is is a story of overcoming terrible obstacles, and those sp- obstacles that you faced, those challenges that you faced, Missy, have really made you the person you are because you are an overcomer. You are a resilient person. And you've infused that sense of resiliency, is it fair to say, in the novel that you've written that really shares a lot of your story in a fictional account? Yes,
2: there is. There's a lot of it in there. And there's instances where you find other places you can go for help.
1: Okay. So so tell us again the name of your book.
2: Child of the Wilderness.
1: Child of the Wilderness and it, it'll say authored by Missy Priest, is that right?
2: Correct, yes.
1: And I can just go on Amazon and pick up that book. Is that the best way to do it?
2: You could go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble just online. Okay. I didn't know this before I actually got one, but when you get it in the tablets.
1: Okay, like an e-book, like a Kindle edition or something.
2: That's it. You'll have it in a couple of minutes.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. So so basically all i got to do is remember Child of the Wilderness. Have I got that right? Yes. Child of the Wilderness. And that's how, where the title came from.
2: Uh, no, that's not actually where it came from. Where it came from was the movie Phantom of the Opera. That's how I got the name for the book. Okay. was Minnie Driver Sings a Song, and I thought it was called Child of the Wilderness, but it's actually not. I thought, well, now that's a good name for the book. And everybody says, you know, it's catchy.
1: Uh-huh. No, you definitely got our attention. And, I mean, your story is captivating, and I can understand why you wouldn't want to write this necessarily as an autobiography. You're trying to still... Uh, be sensitive to the lives of people who maybe were, were damaged by your stepfather and maybe all the uh, turmoil that surrounded his life. I could only imagine.
2: Well, he was the lowest life form, I believe, that there is.
1: Well, and I think we're all so sorry to hear that you had to live in such an environment. But we're we're really excited about the fact that you've not only... Rebounded from all that trauma, but that you're helping people. You're doing that in a variety of ways, whether it was in the nursing field, whether it's now as a speaker and a writer. But Missy, I want to come to another topic that I know has got to be in the minds of a lot of those tuning in today. And that is if there are people listening, and I know there are many just statistically who have suffered abuse just like you, maybe not to the extent, maybe worse in their their mind, maybe it was actually worse. But we're not here to compare notes, but there's a problem. Many people who are the victims of abuse feel that they were partially to blame or wholly to blame for the abuse. Did, Did you have to deal with that growing up?
2: Yes, very much so. Uh, You're ashamed because you're different from other people, and you consider yourself, no matter how many baths or showers you take, Mm -hmm. you can scrub scrub your skin raw, and you still feel like filth. And for some people like me, I was kind of eternally shy Mm -hmm. and scared to death of any kind of a man.
1: So, Missy, you grow up in an environment where men are the abusers, that figure that's larger than life, the stepfather who's abusing you, and it seems like you're incapable, at least on a certain level, of engaging in a trusting relationship with someone of the male gender. And yet, at the same time, you have this optimistic outlook. You're envisioning one day being happily married, being a wife and a mother, I mean, how does, uh, I mean, I want to ask you a question about how a person does that, but I'm thinking to myself, before I even ask the question, maybe you don't even know how you could have hope in that situation. Is is that a safe conclusion to make? Or is there some recollection of how you could get beyond those feelings of probably not only fear, but maybe even hatred directed at men.
2: Oh, yeah. That's big. But the first person you usually start hating is yourself. Mm. And I found that true in, you know, children who come into the ER, they think it's their fault because that's what they've been told. Wow. And they accept the blame because, they don't believe that they're worth anything. Uh, and this doesn't just happen in, you know, say poor people or rich people or, you know, just one group of people. This happens more to. There is no economic level that doesn't have abuse in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. None.
1: And I so appreciate the points you're making because for those of you tuning into today's program you may be listening and saying you're so thankful you've not gone through anything like Missy went through. You may be relating to her because you went through something very close or similar to what she experienced but here's the point here's one of them that I really want to make sure that we all have as we're we're living through missy's experience and learning lessons, and that is simply this: all of us go through periods where people mistreat us. And what Missy is saying is so real. If you're in the midst of mistreatment because of your race, because of your educational background, because of where you live, uh, because of uh, uh, who you are, maybe you're that illegitimate child like Missy was. Here's the point. It's not your fault these things that are outside of your control. When we're mistreated, we tend to blame ourselves, but you need to catch the vision that Missy's sharing. Don't let your past define you. Continue to, to have a vision for something better, whether it's to, to be happily married, whether it's to have a degree, whether it's to have a meaningful career. And this isn't just a pep talk. I mean, this is reality, isn't it, Missy? Because you, you live this story.
2: Absolutely. Uh, What I would suggest to people, and I have suggested it to people, mine started, uh, my faith was absolute whenever I was eight and was pronounced dead for a little bit, and I made a promise to God at that time that if I got well, I would become a nurse and take care of people. Mm. And so I did. Uh, scare people whenever I came back. And also that if I stayed true to myself, that I would have everything that I wanted, and that being a wife, a mother, and a nurse. Mm-hmm. And you have to believe in yourself so much that because nobody else is doing it, that you have you know the spirit to... Survive, And in, mo- in a lot of cases, survival is just what you do until you see something that takes you away from it. Uh, one person I didn't mention is uh, your priest, clergy, mm-hmm. somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to them. They'll put you in the right place.
1: Good and counsel.
2: And also, that can give you... Uh, a lot of faith. It did Mm
4: me.
1: No, spiritual leaders are are powerful people. Of course, someone might be thinking of, you know, some some horror stories about spiritual leaders. But the point is, in every category, I mean, there's bad health professionals, there's bad spiritual leaders, there's bad parents, but there's a lot of good people out there. And our task, uh, one of our tasks in life, is to find those people that we can trust because there are people out there that are trustworthy, aren't there? Oh, yes. Well, Missy, I know you've got a lot of great material to share. We're going to come back with one more segment. Our time has slipped away in this segment, but we've got some other great insights. If you've been tuning in, enjoying what Missy Priest has been sharing, you too can be someone that actually overcomes no matter what obstacles you faced earlier in life. Stay tuned. We've got our final segment of American Indian Living coming up. We will be right back.
0: Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this.
3: You're listening to Dr.
0: David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. I've been speaking with Missy Priest, an amazing story of overcoming terrible obstacles in life, She is the author of a fictionalized account of her life that also draws from the experiences of many other sufferers of abuse who she has helped as a registered nurse over the years. That book is called Child of the Wilderness. You can also get in touch with Missy. And Missy, you mentioned at one of the breaks you're willing to let people contact you through your email address. Is that right? Yes. And what is that address?
2: two zero four three at a o l dot com
1: okay, so let me see if I got this correct missy m i s s y yes two zero four at a o l dot com right so you're out there on the front lines if you will, whether it's as a writer or a speaker you're trying to help people who have come from a similar background as yours. Now we haven 't had time on the show to go through all your background. You and I have had a chance to speak off air and I know that tragically, a couple of those siblings that you had took their own lives uh, some i mean both at at a young age, some younger than than another, but far too young. Uh, their lives were cut short and If I understood it correctly, it was partly due or maybe entirely due to the consequences of abuse combined with blaming themselves for a lot of those problems. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, you are. So what's the good news, Missy? What is the? How can someone who has suffered these things be a survivor and a contributor to society like yourself and not end up like one of your siblings who tragically took their own life?
2: Um, like you said earlier, uh... I'm an Episcopalian. I have faith in God. I mean, Mm -hmm. absolute faith in God. And for those out there who they don't know who to talk to, Mm -hmm. a priest, a minister, a pastor, whatever, you know, your religion says, those are really good people to talk to. Knowing that somebody will stand up with you more or less before God, and the police will help. In my case, I got a wedding present for my husband, you know, I got a family Mm. and I would never have killed myself like my sister did.
1: Missy, your faith obviously is something that was a strength to you. I'm reminded of a guest I had on the show many years ago. Her name was uh, Dr. Edie Eager. And uh, I don't know if Edie is still alive. She's a survivor of the Holocaust. So she too Went through, and again, we don't want to compare stories. I mean, you, how can you compare stories of abuse and, and horror and, and what someone experienced? But Edie shared with our listeners that one of the things that took her through those horrific experiences was realizing that no one could hold captive her hope, they could take things away from her, but no one could imprison her spirit. And I really as I've been listening to your story, I hear you saying very much the same thing. No matter what happened, that you still had a vision. You you survived and you were going to go, you were going to give back. You were going to be a nurse. You were going to make a difference in people's lives. You were going to have your own family. Am I hearing you right is that part of the key for someone to rise above these kind of circumstances?
2: Yes, definitely. Being told that you would never be worth anything, Mm. uh, that's a big obstacle to overcome, especially if it's done over the course of, say, a decade. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you have to learn to trust yourself when you're doing things like this. Uh, Talk to your teacher. Uh, Make yourself a plan. I mean, you know, I'm going to be the Queen of England someday. That's not a plan. Uh, like me, it was wife, mother, and nurse, Uh and I was going to, I was going to do it, and I did, and, and that's true with anything else, too, because you can become anything that you want to become. Nobody can say that you can't, because you want it, you've got the drive, and, uh, You want something good out of life, and you're willing to wait for it. Mm -hmm. When you do, and when it does happen, uh, and you finally believe that it's over, then you start finding your happiness, that you are good on your own, that you are a good person, that, you know, because of you, uh, one child's life was saved.
1: Missy, these are powerful lessons. And I know that your story didn't end with you overcoming these things, becoming that nurse, that mother, that wife at a relatively young age, because you and I, in our discussions off air, you've told me that some things happened that really cut your nursing career short. Tell us just a little bit about something that I would I would have guessed for some people. You know, you have this hope, you achieve it, and then that's taken away from you. Sometimes people right there will just give up, but that didn't happen. Tell us what happened that forced you to leave nursing, first of all.
2: I had two neck injuries that I had to have my neck fused, and I've still got one disc that needs to be operated on. But I didn't have a choice. I couldn't do it anymore. I was looking at, you know, paralyzing myself. I mean, just drive it driving back and forth to work.
1: Mm. And those neck injuries, if I'm understanding right, they occurred in the course of your working as a nurse.
2: Yes. Uh, both times, it was a man in his 40s, and I was helping people, you know, helping them to get up for the first time after open-heart surgery. They were supposed to hold their chest, and you would tell them exactly what you're going to do, and even though, you know, their chest hurt and they start out holding their pillow, you're in a very vulnerable position whenever you're helping them to pivot around and sit up. Mm-hmm. And that's when your neck is most vulnerable. And most cardiac patients, uh, you probably know this, they're fat or, you know, heavy, something mm-hmm. like that. It's
1: great uh, right? I
2: can say that because I'm heavy as well. But whenever they start up, grabbed my ponytail, and that was it. had to have the first operation in 97. Whoa. In 2001, same thing happened. Reached up, grabbed my ponytail, and for a minute I couldn't move my right side. Hmm. That scared me to death, and I don't ever want to be where I can't move. Mm-hmm. So that scared me enough to where I didn't work anymore. I did do lectures uh, around the country, Yeah, in Las Vegas, there was a yearly one that I would go to. But believing in yourself, doing something that makes you happy. There is happiness out there, and sometimes you have to look really hard for it. But make yourself a dream that makes sense. Don't include anything that hurts you. Mm. And for sure, do not get involved in alcohol or drugs because, if you've been abused, you need to talk to somebody. In my book, I mention several places you know where you can go and find help. Uh, when you think of and young children, young children sleeping all night in a barn, where there's you know there can be snakes, skunks, spiders, somebody just happening around, uh, there are wasps, hornets. All those things had to be considered. And we couldn't have very much light because then I'd give give away where we were. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And no air conditioning or heating either.
1: Of course not.
2: But then I used to walk up the interstate to go to work because we lived on the interstate. It was a mile to work. And every morning I'd have to walk down there and walk back. And I dropped out of school so I could take care of my sister and brother. Wow. And all this is mentioned in my book, it's, it is more graphic. I decided to show people what it really is. And there's hope. Don't lose hope in yourself.
1: Missy, Missy, we so appreciate you casting that vision of hope. Uh, one more time, give us the name of your book.
2: It's Child of the Wilderness, and it has a picture of the barn on the front. Kind of creepy-looking.
1: Okay, so Child of the Wilderness. That's the author, Missy Priest. She's a woman who uh, has survived many challenges. If you're looking for hope, uh, Missy's book is out there. It's her story, fictionalized to, to protect people. But Child of the Wilderness is the story of her life. If you want to take it a step further, Missy has said, give her uh, an email. Send her an email. She's happy to talk with you. Her email address, if you didn't catch it earlier in the show, missy2043 at com. That's missy Two zero four three at aol.com. Missy, thank you so much for sharing your story of hope, of vision, of overcoming. Uh, we've just uh, we've just enjoyed you being so uh, so open with us today.
2: I really do appreciate being able to talk about it to somebody, and maybe it'll help them.
1: I'm Dr. David DeRose. For all of us at American Indian Living, it's time to say goodbye. And as always, hopefully today's show has helped you in your walk to enjoy the very best of health.
2: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.